Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. We left the last episode, was March 6th, and we were talking about dawn at the Alamo. The Battle of the Alamo, of course, was a total defeat for the Texians. Every Anglo male in the fort was put to the sword, just as Santa Ana had promised. But not every person in the fort was killed. Several people witnessed the battle and survived. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of their stories. So let's go back again to San Antonio de Bejar in 1836 and get wise about Texas. If you listen to the bonus episode that I released on March 6th, you heard the music of Degueo, which Santa Ana ordered played as a signal to the Alamo defenders that they would receive no quarter should they refuse to surrender. Travis answered Santa Ana's demands with a cannon shot, and the Texians defended an overwhelming assault that morning of March 6, 1836. And in episode 10, I told you a few folks who were in the fort but weren't combatants. So let's now jump to the aftermath of the battle and see who was left. We talked about the relatives of prominent Bejar citizen Jose Antonio Navarro. Two daughters, Juana Alsbury, who was married to a doctor named Horatio Alsbury, and her sister, Gertrudis Navarro. Juana's son, Alejo, was with her, and he was an infant at the time of the battle. Juana's husband had left the Alamo prior to the battle to scout a location for his family to move, and he'd not returned when the assault occurred. He did return to Behar after the battle and was captured later in the invasion of 1842 that we discussed in Episode 7, and he actually spent time in prison in Mexico. While he was in prison, Juana traveled to Coahuila to wait for his release, and Dr. Alsbury was later killed in the Mexican War in the 1840s. But Juana had survived the battle, and uh, so did her son Alejo. Now, Alejo was born to Juana of her first marriage, and he survived the battle, and after he, after the battle, he continued to live in San Antonio and later became a policeman in San Antonio. And he lived until 1918, and when he died, he was thought to be the last living survivor of the Battle of the Alamo. Another survivor was named Maria Lasoya, and her husband, Toribio, fought with the defenders. Now, Toribio Lasoya had an interesting career. He was a soldier in the Mexican Army, and he had deployed to a fort. Now, I'm going to get this name wrong, but it's, I think it's pronounced Tenochtitlan. And Fort Tenochtitlan is near present-day Caldwell, Texas. He later deserted the Mexican Army because he opposed Santa Ana, and he joined Captain Juan Seguin's company of Tejanos that fought with the Texians. He was killed in the battle, and his body was burned with the rest of the defenders. Uh, His body was identified by the alcalde of San Antonio, Francisco Ruiz. And Maria survived that battle and applied for a grant of land because of her husband's service, but I never could find where she actually got it. Um, Some other relatives of Maria were probably in the fort. Her mother-in-law, Concepcion, her brother-in-law, Juan, and her sister-in-law, Juana Melton, were said to be with her in the Alamo. Now, Juana Melton, who was Toribio's sister, was married to the quartermaster of the Alamo garrison, whose name was Eliel Melton. And Juana was one of the first people that another Alamo survivor, Enrique Esparza, saw when he and his family had retreated into the Alamo before the siege. Now let's talk about Enrique Esparza, because he told one of the more interesting tales of the battle. 
We talked about him a little bit in episode 11 about the siege of the Alamo. He was eight years old at the time of the battle, and he had gone into the Alamo with his mother, Anita. His father, Gregorio Esparza, had fought earlier with Captain Placido Benavidez and also with Juan Seguin when the Texians captured Bejar in 1835. Now, Enrique spent the battle huddled in the church with his mother and his father. Uh, His father ran out of the room to join the battle, and little Enrique never saw him again. Now, later, Enrique's uncle Francisco, who was a Mexican soldier during the Battle of the Alamo, was allowed to give Enrique's father the only Christian burial that any Alamo defender received. Enrique described being huddled in a dark room with other children and families during the actual battle. He described the Mexican soldiers shooting into their dark room and killing a boy that was wrapped in a blanket, but miraculously, no one else in the room was hit. Now, after the battle, Enrique and his family were brought before Santa Ana, and he released them. They lived in a house, their cousin's house in Bejar, after the Alamo, and Enrique died in San Antonio, in 1917, he, had, he was a farmer in his adulthood. Another survivor was named Victoriana de Salinas, and she had three children with her in the Alamo. Very little is known about them, uh, but, and there are two other names that appear to be survivors of the battle, uh, which are Trinidad Saucedo and Petra Gonzalez, and we need to be sure and pay proper respect to them when talking about the survivors. Now, a more well-known survivor of the battle was William Barrett Travis's slave, Joe, At the end of the battle, Joe was actually struck by a pistol shot and scratched by a bayonet, but managed to, uh, one of the Mexican officers managed to calm his men down. Joe was interrogated by Santa Ana about the strength of the Texas Army, and Santa Ana decided to send Joe into the settlements to tell the Texans about the Battle of the Alamo and the great power of the Mexican Army, and before he did that, he paraded the entire army in front of Joe, presumably to make an impression on him, which I'm sure it did. Now, during the Alamo, as we know, the convention of the interim government of the Young Republic was meeting at Washington on the Brazos. Word of the fall of the Alamo reached that convention on March 15th, but people there doubted whether the reports were actually accurate. Now, later that day on March 15th, They got letters from both Sam Houston and Juan Seguin confirming that the Alamo had fallen. Joe was on his way to Washington on the Brazos, and he arrived a few days later on March the 20th. He described the battle to the assembled convention, which, of course, confirmed everything they had heard. And uh, William Fairfax Gray recorded Joe's arrival in his diary and actually recorded Joe's account. Well, as you can imagine, that caused a lot of excitement. Uh, according to Gray, and we're going to talk about that toward the end of the episode. Now, because of Travis's death, Joe became the property of Travis's estate. He remained at Washington or somewhere near Washington, and on April 21st, 1836, he was in Washington or near it uh, when they got word that San Jacinto had been won. He ended up staying there working in a saloon on a lease from the estate, so you could actually lease human beings at that time. And he was leased to Bernard Holtzclaw. Now, Bernard Holtzclaw had actually been Andrew Jackson's overseer at the Hermitage and uh, was did not have a very good reputation for being very nice. 
Yeah, Joe would also find himself leased out several times because Travis's estate had several debts, so they would lease Joe to pay off these debts. Um, As the authors Ron Jackson and Lee Spencer White point out in their biography of Joe, despite all his service to Texas and having survived one of the pivotal battles of the Texas Revolution, he simply remained property of others. Well, Joe ended up in the... um, company of the executor of Travis's estate, whose name was Jones, and he ended up on a plantation at Bailey's Prairie in Brazoria County. Now, as April 21st, 1837 got closer, everyone around the Republic of Texas was getting ready for a grand ball that was going to be held in Houston to commemorate the one-year anniversary of Texas independence. And Joe, as a servant, accompanied Jones, the executor, and his wife. Now, while the revelers were dancing, uh, by all accounts, well into the early morning, Joe and a former Mexican prisoner stole two horses and escaped. They ran away. But sometime by that November 1837, he had been recaptured and was returned to the estate. Now, in early 1838, Joe ran away again. Now, this time, he made it all the way to Alabama. So you heard that right. He walked from Texas to Alabama. And from there, he fades from Texas history. Now, the book I referred to earlier by Ron Jackson and Lee Spencer White's called Joe, the Slave Who Became an Alamo Legend. And it is a thoroughly researched account of as much as we can find out about Joe. And they include some interesting stuff about his life once he made it to Alabama. Now, I want to tell you a somewhat sad story of another survivor called the Babe of the Alamo, and that was Angelina Dickinson. She was the baby daughter of Al Moran and Susanna Dickinson. She was born in Gonzales, but moved to San Antonio with her mother and father in early 1836 when her father joined the Army in San Antonio. And when the time came to enter the Alamo, the story goes that, his fa- that her father scooped her up onto his horse and galloped inside the gates as the Mexicans were marching down Commerce Street. And before the battle, sometime before the battle, uh, William Barrett Travis gave Angelina his gold cat's eye ring, put it on a string, and put it around her neck. Now, that ring today is in the Alamo Museum. Angelina spent the battle in her mother's arms, hiding in the church building with the other families. After the battle, she and her mother were taken, as were all the survivors, before Santa Ana. Santa Ana actually offered to adopt little Angelina and take her to Mexico, giving her the best of education and the best life. But her mother probably wisely declined that offer. So Santa Ana sent Angelina with her mother to Gonzales to... Uh, for her mother to tell everyone about the battle, and we'll get to her mother in a minute. Angelina later got married at 17 and moved to Montgomery County, Texas, actually just south of where my my family had was living at that time. She ended up divorced and left her children with relatives, and she ended up moving to New Orleans, where it is said that she lived a life of questionable repute. She returned to Texas after the Civil War and settled in Galveston with a man named Jim Britton, and he ended up with Travis's ring, and that's how uh, it went through the Britain heirs down to the eventually donated to the Alamo Museum. Now, apparently, Angelina was married yet again and had another child, but we're not 100% sure of that. Uh, she died a rather sad death in Galveston, and uh, the newspaper of the time indicated that uh, at the time of her death, she was, um, to quote uh, perhaps Gus McRae from Lonesome Dove, She was doing what she could, but don't hold that against her. Now, Angelina's mother, Susanna, 
is another somewhat sad story, and, and she's probably one of the more famous survivors of the battle. After the battle, Susanna came before Santa Ana, as I mentioned, and she received $2 and a blanket, and she received instructions to go to Gonzales in the company of Santa Ana's cook named Ben uh, to tell Houston and the Army about what had happened at the Alamo. Now, there's a story that Susanna, right after the battle, displayed her husband's Masonic apron to a Mexican general to try to engender goodwill. Susanna, on her way to Gonzales, ran into the Texian scouts Deef Smith and Henry Carnes, and they escorted her to uh, Gonzales to inform everyone of the results of the battle. Now, Susanna, like her daughter eventually would, had a tumultuous personal life. She ended up marrying several times. She was in the midst of a divorce from a man named Peter Bellows, and he accused her of prostitution. And the petition from that divorce accuses her of residing in what is described as a house of ill fame. Um, There was a place in Houston called the Mansion House Hotel that was run by a lady named Pamela Mann, and Susanna actually worked there for a time. Um, But at the same time she was doing that, she received some accolades from city officials for nursing the sick during one of Houston's many cholera epidemics. Susanna finally found happiness in her fifth marriage, and her fifth husband was a man named Joseph Hannig, and she lived with him in Austin. Um, Susanna spent her later life recounting her experience at the Alamo to anyone who would listen. Now, her stories don't always match up through the years, but nevertheless, she was at the Alamo and survived. Now, from here, I want to say a word about the scene in Texas when the word came to the people about the fall of the Alamo. Needless to say, it caused quite a panic. The government in Washington was already basically in a shambles, and we've alluded to that in some earlier episodes. On March 16th, the convention received confirmation of the Alamo's fall, and that sent messages flying out of that convention to every direction. William Fairfax Gray was at the convention and recorded in his diary that, quote, the president has lost all dignity and authority, close quote. James Collinsworth was reported to have become disgusted, gotten drunk, and started preaching about how disorganized the whole convention was. So things were in chaos. There was finally a proposal that they just pull up stakes and move the entire thing to Nacogdoches. Well, word continued to come in that Santa Ana was on the march. And on March 17th, the convention finally took the vote they needed to take, which was on a loan to finance the revolution. And that was the biggest bone of contention during the convention. And the convention immediately adjourned, and everyone scattered to the four winds to try and gather their families and flee the advancing Mexican army. Now, meanwhile, in Gonzales, in the area closer to Bejar, the population was in full panic mode. People were dropping what they were doing, literally, dropping what they were doing, grabbing what they could grab, and taking off. Later accounts uh, talk about people wandering into houses of settlers and finding milk, curdled milk still in the cups and food still on the tables they had left so quickly. It was a very hasty, panicked migration eastward, and it would later come to be known as the runaway scrape. And we'll do uh, some more detail on that in other episodes. Um, Upon learning that the Alamo had fallen, Houston had actually ordered everyone to get out and uh, actually burn the town of Gonzales to try to deny the Mexican Army housing and supplies. Now, on March 18th, 
uh, President Burnett issued a proclamation that was trying to calm the population. He wrote that while Houston and the Army remained between the Mexicans and the families, that everyone was safe. He also wrote, this is a quote, the government is perfecting, well, actually, it's a paraphrase. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he wrote that the government is perfecting arrangements to ensure the transmission of official intelligence on which you, and he was talking to the people, may rely in confidence. And he printed that and had it distributed around the settlements. Well, what the government was actually doing was heading off to Harrisburg. It was fleeing just like the population. So the gist of the proclamation can be distilled to uh, an urge not to panic. But, by the way, let's all run to the east. So there's a little about the scene after the Alamo. It was a bitter defeat for the Texans, and it gave the Mexicans control of the only fort on one of the only two roads into Texas. Santa Ana's slaughter of the entire garrison induced a panic among the population, and it was certainly a difficult time for the young Republic of Texas. Unfortunately, things were probably going to get harder before they got easier. So when you remember the Alamo, as you should very often, Remember also the survivors of the battle. Now, they didn't know what PTSD was in 1836, but you can imagine that all the survivors suffered it to some degree. Many of the survivors had very difficult lives after the battle, being asked over and over to recall what was no doubt the most traumatic event of their lives. It was a savage and bloody battle. Uh, Santa Ana later dismissed it as a small affair, but that battle today looms very large over the history of Texas. It was a time for courage in the face of certain death, and it was a time for heroes. Well, let's uh, come to the part of the episode where I call Getting There, and I want to tell you a couple of places in San Antonio that figure in this episode. When Enrique Esparza was taken, uh, after the battle, he was taken to a place called the Mesquite's House, which was, I believe, on the southeast corner of Commerce Street in Soledad. And that's also where Susanna Dickinson was actually working before the Mexican army arrived in Bejar. And now that corner is now kind of, a, I think, a common area off the main plaza in San Antonio. Now, Santa Ana's quarters during the Battle of the Alamo were across Commerce Street from there in the middle of Commerce on the north side between Soledad and Main Avenue. So there's now an office building on part of that block, and then I think part of it may be vacant. Susanna Dickinson was buried in Oakwood Cemetery in Austin, and the name on her stone is is Susan Hannig after her last husband, and she also has a cenotaph in the State Cemetery in Austin. Her daughter, Angelina Dickinson, the babe of the Alamo, was buried in Evergreen Cemetery in Galveston, which is on Broadway, and her gravestone simply read Britain, which was her name when she died. And that gravestone, unfortunately, was washed away in the 1900 storm, but her, but her grave remains in that cemetery somewhere. Enrique Esparza, uh, the eight-year-old who survived the Alamo and gave a good account of the battle, is buried in the El Carmen Cemetery in La Soya, which is south of San Antonio on 281, and just east on FM 2537. Oh, there's one more place I need to mention. Susanna Dickinson, I discussed her... Uh, questionable reputation. She was working for a time in Houston at a place called the Mansion House Hotel, which was a uh, house of ill fame, and that was located on the northwest corner of Market Square, uh, which is still an active and bustling place in downtown Houston. 
Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas, and we leave the Battle of the Alamo 180 years later. We talked about the siege, we talked about the battle, and now we've talked about the survivors. So we're going to move on. We're going to do some upcoming episodes on various aspects of the revolution because we're in the high holy days of the revolution. And we're going to look for some great stories and some great detail about the movements of the army leading up to the Battle of San Jacinto. I want to thank everyone for listening. The response continues to be incredible. I'm getting some great suggestions for future episodes, and I hope you'll keep those coming in. I hope you will like and share the Wise About Texas Facebook page and follow the show on Twitter at Wise About Texas. So thanks for listening. God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.